One time a detective says she never had a chance. What did he mean by that? What did they know that the public don't know? In 1969, Kathy Jones was brutally murdered on her way to a Nashville skating rink. The public wasn't told about one of the strongest suspects in her case, and I want to know more. Join me for Flat Rock, a cold case podcast where I'll be taking a deep dive into Kathy's murder and bringing you with me. Someone out there still alive today. Someone knows something. This podcast contains adult content. Some of the themes or topics may include information on murder, kidnapping, torture, dismemberment, maybe some demonic content with information on positions and paranormal activity. This podcast will also include explicit, horrible and foul, socially unacceptable, totally uninhibited adult themes language. So if you're easily offended, if you're easily triggered, then I highly suggest you turn this off now. And if not, just keep in mind, parental discretion is advised. Michael McCormick's career of mayhem began while he was growing up on the eastern plains of Colorado. But it began to fall apart in the early 80s when an Idaho trucker vanished from a truck stop in Wheat Ridge. And that led to the indictment of Mike McCormick. He tried to plea bargain his way out of the murder charge by claiming his father had killed the trucker. I'm no killer. I've never killed. Police thought McCormick was lying about his father, and they charged Michael with the murder of the trucker and the theft of his truck. In fact, McCormick claimed his dad had murdered up to a dozen migrant farm workers and buried them on the family ranch near Stratton. McCormick then pointed out the locations where those bodies were buried, and three skeletons were in fact uncovered. But the other seven or eight bodies were never recovered. The list goes on even further than that. There's a lot of things up there, but I don't have to kill anybody. I would, there's no way I, I didn't kill them. It began to look like either McCormick or his father was one of the biggest serial killers in Colorado history. got a few reviews to read after the show other than that we're gonna get rolling because this is a pretty interesting one it's really good really good one i i got this suggested to me at a live show in atchison kansas uh last august took me a while to get to it but i'm glad that i did because it's a really interesting one today we're going to be talking about the mccormick ranch murders out of stratton colorado and it all starts off with a guy named thomas mccormick Like I said, the ranch was located in Stratton, Colorado, which is about 150 miles east of Denver, Colorado. And this ranch was, I read, anywhere from 22 to 2,900 acres. The most consistent number I read was 2,800 acres, which for anybody out there, that's a nice chunk of land, all right? They had wheat, soybeans, corn, uh, grazing land for livestock, and they also had a feedlot on the side. Now, all in all, this property, I believe the feedlot being included, was worth about $2 million, all right? So they had a, they had a nice operation going. Uh, Thomas himself was described as being very antisocial, and he would often chase off locals or any kind of neighbors that were on his land. He did not want people around, right? So in 1980, financial problems start hitting, and he has to start selling off big sections of his land. 
the feedlot actually ends up going into bankruptcy, and Thomas starts looking for ways to make money. So him and his son Michael start a chop shop, all right? The stolen cars, stolen trucks, they even stole semis, big rigs, tractor trailers, pretty much anything they could get their hands on and sell. But it all came to a head on August 30th, 1983, when a 60-year-old by the name of Herbert Donahoe, it's either Donahoe or Donoho, uh, he was a trucker from Idaho, and he misses an appointment with friends at a truck stop in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. The cops end up finding out that he never made it back home to Caldwell, Idaho, so they start looking for him in his truck. About six months later, in January 1984, prosecutors in Fort Morgan, Colorado keep hearing Thomas McCormick's name coming up, in reference to an investigation involving stolen cars. It's my understanding that state police decide not to pursue it. In mid-July 1984, an inspector in Rosenberg, Oregon, a truck inspector, he ended up identifying Herbert Dinojo's truck, his big rig, and it had some altered serial numbers on it, but they, he was able to figure it out. And the driver of this truck says he bought the truck in Phoenix in December of 1983, so just about a month prior to that. Now the police start investigating more, and this leads them back to Mike McCormick, who is Thomas McCormick's son, as I had mentioned. And before we go any further, I gotta say, Murderpedia actually has a lot of good condensed information from various sources on their website. Gotta thank them for doing that, because they are fucking amazing. But at the same time, you guys know me, I gotta dig further, I had to find some informa other information, so there is stu stuff more than what's included there. Just in case you're reading ahead to see what happens. So, in June 1985, okay... Mike ends up getting indicted on like 14 counts, including like a bunch of felonies, conspiracy to distribute cocaine, like bad checks, fraud, aggravated auto theft. And this fucking guy goes on the run, man. He starts and he goes into hiding. And uh, in January of 1986, about six months later, the cops find him in Omaha, Nebraska, and they get him cornered, right? And there's this little standoff. Mike actually had the gun that he was carrying in his mouth and he threatened suicide, but instead of killing himself, he decides to surrender to authorities. So Mike makes this deal with the prosecution. He tells them he'll give up the killer and take them to Donahoe's body in exchange for leniency, which his, the agreement was for him to serve two years in prison. And he tells homicide detectives that his father had actually killed Donahoe. He hit him with a sledgehammer, and then Mike helped him put the body in a sleeping bag and bury it in a wheat field. And then he tells prosecutors and homicide detectives that his father has actually been killing people for a long time. The first linked disappearance to the McCormick Ranch is all the way back in 1971, when Mike was 14 years old. So... Mike McCormick ends up linking his dad, Thomas, to about 12 more murders over the previous 10 years at the ranch. Thomas, what he would do, okay, he would drive into Denver to a church mission, which uh, it was called Christian Men's Center. 
and he would pick up vagrants and migrant workers, just basically people that supposedly nobody cared about, and he would have them go work on his ranch during harvest season. Now, at first, he would just withhold their pay and not let them leave and shit like that, but the state employment office started getting a bunch of complaints, right? So... When Thomas finds out about this, like he starts getting questioned questioned about it and shit, he decides to kill them instead of pay them from then on. Like, instead of, you know, having to worry about overhead on the ranch or whatever the case might have been, he's like, okay, you guys want to complain about me not paying you? Uh, the next set of guys I start picking up to work on the ranch, I'm just going to kill them instead. So that's freaking what he does, okay? And his methods included beating, strangulation, and shooting them. On January 30th, 1986, Mike McCormick takes investigators to a field near Byers, Colorado, which is about 100 miles west of the ranch. Herbert Donahue was found buried there in a shallow grave about two to three feet deep. But then Mike McCormick also leads them to three more bodies which were located on the ranch. Early February, Colorado Bureau of Investigation and homicide detectives go to the ranch with heavy machinery like backhoes and they just start digging, right, wherever Mike told them that bodies were. And they find three skeletons in shallow graves, like I said, all two to three feet deep. Two were killed by gunshot and one was beaten to death. Now, the oldest body that was found on the property at that time was there for about 10 years, they had estimated. Now, two of the bodies were found in the backyard of Mike McCormick's trailer at the ranch, and a third was found along a fence line south of Tom McCormick's home. Mike said one of the victims was a ranch foreman, and the other was a burglar. Mike McCormick said he caught the burglar in his trailer, and he calls his dad on the CB radio, and his father killed the burglar by choking him. He claimed that the ranch foreman was shot to death by his father during an argument while they were drunk. To be honest with you, all three of these men were vagrants that were picked up at the mission. It was later found. They did identify those three bodies. And, and it should be known, too, that when investigators dug up one of the graves, they discovered two shovels in there. Okay, so this kind of corroborates Mike McCormick's story about two people being there digging the grave. So as it's February in Colorado, eventually the weather starts getting really bad, okay? And they actually stop searching, like deputies and CBI and whoever else was involved in this. They, they stop searching because of the weather. And at the time, they had believed, and like I said, this is 1986, they did believe that there were probably about 12 more bodies buried on the property somewhere. So when the weather warms up and they go decide to start digging again, they had a bunch of state budget problems. They didn't have any funding to continue the digs. There's a bunch of jurisdictional issues. So they just decided to stop searching for more bodies. <laughs> they just decided to stop because they pretty much knew that they had either Thomas or his father nailed on one murder. And at the time, they're like, he's going to get life. You know, that's good enough. There was a bunch of problems. Like I said, the main one that was said was funding. So Mike McCormick told him, you know, that 
Yeah, he had killed Donahoe back in 1983 when all this happened. I just helped him bury the body. So Thomas McCormick gets arrested and charged with four murders. But he's in prison telling his cellmate, allegedly, that it was his son Mike who actually killed Donahoe. So while all this questioning is going on between Mike McCormick and his dad, Tom, authorities start noticing discrepancies in Mike McCormick's story and in his father's story. So they're not exactly sure who to believe. So because of a chain of custody problem with law enforcement involving murder weapons and misplaced body parts of victims, shit you not, law enforcement couldn't prove whether both people were involved or not. Like I said, there were also a lot of discrepancies in Mike McCormick's story about his father killing Donahoe. So prosecution, they didn't think that Mike McCormick would be a credible witness against his father. So all charges against Tom McCormick were totally dismissed. (laughs) Okay? Like they let the guy just go. And his son, Mike McCormick, was charged and convicted of first-degree murder in Donahoe's death and 14 other felonies. And he gets sentenced to 48 years in prison, right? Now, he does give one interview. This is supposedly the only known interview that he gave in 1987 to a guy named Alan Pendergast. Pendergast wrote an article about it in 2010. And he says, quote, As far as I know, it's the only detailed interview he ever gave. It was an emotional couple of hours. He was, by turns, distraught, angry, evasive, and claiming convenient memory losses when all else failed. When he talked about being deathly afraid of his dad, though, he came across as far more credible than I would have expected, end quote. But Mike McCormick's not exactly doing anything to help himself out while he's in prison, right? While he's in there, I'm not exactly sure when this happened, But he gets caught plotting an escape with a fucking helicopter, you know, coming on the roof of the prison, which I don't know how he was going to orchestrate this whole thing, but his whole plan was to escape by helicopter, and he was going to go to Mexico and kill a citizen and assume their identity. So he's not helping himself out in prison when all this, you know, he's already got all this shit going on. While he's in prison as well, on November 15th, 1997, Thomas McCormick does die, and he was never tried for any of these murders. And of course, his lawyers the whole time are working on all these appeals, okay? And in 2005, the Colorado Supreme Court orders a new trial. They had determined that his defense attorney was ineffective at trial. Mike McCormick's attorney gets his conviction overturned. Prosecutors refiled murder charges against him, though, but Mike McCormick really didn't want to go through a new trial, so they gave him a deal, and he ends up pleading guilty to second-degree murder. And in spring of 2006, Mike McCormick is released from prison after serving about 19 years. And what does he do when he gets out? He does what every good ex-con would do, and he starts a business, not just any business. It's a like a real estate liquidation business, real estate scams and foreclosure scams and shit like that. Speaking of businesses, let's hear a word from our sponsor. As you guys know, true crime, mysteries, history... 
paranormal, all that good stuff is my passion. But even I need an occasional break every now and then. So when I feel like I need a mental palate cleanser, my go-to refresher is the game Best Fiends. Best Fiends has challenging puzzles. It's a casual game anyone can play, but, but definitely made for adults. You can spend as much or as little time as you'd like in the game. It's super fun. It's super easy to play. It's got like a tutorial that teaches you like how to play it. Personally, when I started, uh, I spent roughly two to three days playing this game. All right. Not even going to lie. I got to, uh, you know, up to level about 85. Okay. I was trying to hit level triple digits, man. I was trying to go to level 100. And yeah, in about two, two and a half days, I made it to level 85. That's how fun this game is. And it's really, really cool because I can play with my boys. My boys enjoy playing it as well. I mean, it's really bright colors. Like the visual design is really good. What keeps me interested in this five-star game, which I did actually rate at five stars too, you know, if you can't make it towards a certain level, you you get determined. It's like, okay, I'm going to figure this out because it literally is like a puzzle, but it's just way more involved. And I mean, you have different characters that you can get. You can upgrade all this stuff. You know, you got most of the characters are like bugs. Some of them are slugs, you know, stuff like that. But <laughs> you really should check it out. It is a really fun game because like I said, I can play it sit, sitting here by myself. But I can also play it with my boys like they play it and they love it too. Super, super fun. And it's basically a unique and exciting puzzle experience unlike other puzzle games out there. Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events so it never gets old. Best Fiends treats the game like a service for their players. And it's really great because I literally can play this game anywhere. You can play offline, which is great. Uh, I've played it, you know, on road trips, obviously, when I'm pulled over taking a small break or whatever. I've collected a lot, a lot of characters in order to get to level 85. I can tell you that right now. Now, you can engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Super cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads... This 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's basically friends without the R. Okay? It's Best Fiends. And the best part, like, with 100 million downloads, honestly, that doesn't even mean there's 100 million players. That means it's been downloaded 100 million times. I mean, it's free to download. I'm literally obsessed with this game. It's it's so much fun. I really don't get into playing games on my phone very often, but when I downloaded this, it's definitely a nice break from from getting away from true crime and you know all the horrible things I have to look into on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. So, definitely go check it out. Go check out Best Fiends. Like I said, it's free to download. Over 100 million downloads right now. I think you might like it. Kind of hard to believe the system just kind of, you know, let this guy out of prison the way it did, which was kind of a bad thing here, as you're going to find out. So when he's released, authorities, they want to reopen the investigation. They're like, how in the hell is this guy out of prison? So they go to track down the remains of the three other victims that were found on the ranch. The remains were stored in a laboratory at Colorado State University. 
for quite a long time, and they were eventually found in a storage vault at Kit Carson County Sheriff's Office. Now, they wanted to go to try to dig up more bodies, too. What they were trying to do was prove that more than one weapon was used, which would mean there would be more than one killer. So basically, they're looking for more evidence to put, you know, put this guy behind bars, which is a good thing. What they don't understand is that they actually found this evidence in 1986. One of the victims was shot with two different guns. The person was shot with a pistol a few times uh, in the body and then shot with a shotgun in the head. Literally two totally different guns. So they had this information, not, not to mention that, you know, one of the victims that they dug up was literally buried with two fucking shovels. Like, they had it, but they did such a bad job communicating with each other or whatever. In almost every article I read, it said that law enforcement kind of biffed this one hard, you know? So, in 2006, prosecutors do decide to reopen multiple murder investigations. Like I said, they started searching for bodies and everything, and they get some geologists and forensic anthropologists from a company called NecroSearch. And NecroSearch is like a non-profit organization that does this kind of shit. And they found several spots where bodies were possibly buried. But the kicker is, even though NecroSearch is a non-profit, you have to pay for their travel expenses. You have to pay for that all their expenses while they're there doing this, right? And they didn't have the funding for it. <laughs> so they didn't have enough, they didn't have the money again to do these searches for these other bodies that are supposedly buried there. But in 2008, the case does reopen, and they start actually digging for the bodies. Last time, they were just searching for where bodies could be buried. Now they're digging for them, and no other remains were were found as of now. I mean, the latest article I could find on it was 2010. So everything gets quiet for a couple years. Until April 7th, 2010, at about 2 p.m., Mike McCormick's co-worker, in some reports it was said that she was his estranged girlfriend, according to the one article that I read with the uh, guy who wrote that article in 2010, this was false, this was not his estranged girlfriend, it was just a co-worker. Well, she ends up kidnapped from her house in Parker, Colorado, and Parker, Colorado is just like northwest of Denver. Uh, the woman who reported her kidnapping was her roommate, and then as soon as that happens, Mike McCormick ends up the main suspect immediately. Cops end up finding her car at a gas station in Parker, and they issue an all-points bulletin for Mike. Now the next morning, on April 8th, 2010, cops have been searching all night, and they go and they find a car registered to Mike about a block away from his house in Granby, Colorado, which Granby is just southeast of Denver. It's about roughly two hours away from Parker going southeast. So they activate a SWAT team, all right, and they surround the house because they know somebody's in there. They try calling Mike and the female at 5.21 a.m. There's, there's no answer from either one of them. So the cops break one of the windows in this house. They throw in a phone because they're like, all right, we got to start negotiations because we more than likely got a damn hostage in there. So shortly after they throw in that phone, they hear one single gunshot. 
They find out that one single gunshot was Mike McCormick committing suicide by shooting himself in the head. When they go inside the home, they find the woman dead from a single gunshot wound to the head as well, and it was not self-inflicted. Mike McCormick had shot her earlier on in the head before he took his own life. That's pretty much the end of our story, okay? Like, today... As of 2019, nobody really knows how many people were killed on this ranch. When Mike McCormick died, they tracked down a bunch of old homicide detectives, and they found one in a nursing home who was, I think he was like a sheriff or a detective or something from like 1970 until the early eight or mid-80s, right? And he straight up says, he's like, yeah, back in 1971 somebody was missing on that property he's like we went there looking for him it was somebody that we knew had gone to work to the at the ranch and it was somebody who never made it home and thomas mccormick's like you know no i dropped him off at the bus station i don't know what happened to him and this old retired homicide detective's like we knew like this guy was killing people back then but we couldn't find any evidence we had absolutely nothing you know, not to mention Mike McCormick at that time, he, he was 14 years old in 1971. So it's like, who was doing what here? Because, I mean, two of the bodies that they did find were behind McCormick's trailer. You know, there was one by his dad's. Maybe it was both of them. Maybe McCormick was that scared of his dad. Maybe McCormick was just a fucking serial killer from the time he was a teenager. Because obviously, judging by his later life here he might not have all been there, you know what I'm saying? Like, he might have been a fucking straight-up killer just trying to pin shit on his dad. But that's the thing, with the two shovels and the fact that at least one person was shot by two different guns, two totally different guns, I mean, both of them were involved to an extent, but they nobody knows who did what to who. Nobody knows how, the extent of them being involved with all these murders, but it is speculated that there were at least 19 murders committed on this property from as early as 1971 until the mid-80s. So we're not sure, but the property is owned by a family now, and the current owner did have this to say. In 2018, they gave a little interview and they said this, she said, every once in a while, the plow will dig up something like a shoe or a piece of clothing, end quote. Apart from the occasional feeling of fright she gets when walking through the building in which Thomas and Michael used to live, she said, if there are any more bodies, her family, quote unquote, would just like them to be found and returned to their families, which obviously that's that's a good thing to say that's what we'd all want but yeah uh pretty crazy shit out there in colorado man i mean i guess the appeals court did a good job i i don't want to say that but apparently his lawyer was on top of their shit because this dude literally got out of prison after doing about 19 years i mean he had 14 fucking felonies and a first degree murder charge he had 48 years the dude straight up settles up like the prosecution worked out a deal to where he just pleaded guilty to fucking second degree murder. They're like, oh, okay, you're good on time served, bro. Here you go. It's just crazy. Can't believe it. But anywho, 
for those of you who want to follow me on social media, there is a Facebook page, obviously. There's the Facebook group. Just, uh, you know, hit the page or the group button, whichever. If you don't answer the questions, you don't get in the group. You can follow me on Instagram at mysterious underscore podcast. You can follow my personal account if you want. Just don't be a fucking creeper. Because I post, like, you know, pictures of my kids and me and shit on there. I got uh, uh, Twitter at podcastmc. If you want to go hit the merch shop, gonna tell you right now my merchandise is not just logo art and shit like i write ridiculous shit on t-shirts and just you know i do whatever patreon is patreon.com forward slash mysterious circumstances there's a nice back catalog there and the lowest tier starts at two bucks a month i think that's about it till next time see you on the flip side So before we get started with some reviews, let me announce some live show dates real quick. Man, I got four live shows so far next year. Obviously, I'm going to be at CrimeCon. There's probably going to be a couple other places I'll be. But live show-wise, we got Savannah, Georgia on October 10th from 7 to 11 p.m. Tickets are $20. And we have me, Hillbilly Horror Stories, History Goes Bump, and we have special guest, Paranormal investigator Ashley Godwin from the Sci-Fi Channel's Ghost Hunters International. So you know that's going to be an awesome show. And obviously I'm always hosting some kind of after party. So you know we're going to have some fun in Savannah. And Savannah's a very haunted place, so that's also super awesome. Next one is Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, August 15th, 2020, from 7 to 11, tickets $20, and it's going to be me, Hillbilly Horror Stories, Twisted Philly, the Brohio podcast, and that's going to be a great time, man. I am super excited about Gettysburg. I'm a Civil War freak, so I'm really, really looking forward to that show. I mean, all the haunted attractions, obviously you guys know I'm a history nut, so that's going to be a really, really good time as well. Next one is gonna be a good time. Point Pleasant, West Virginia, September 19th, during the Mothman Festival. And the shows that are gonna be there are Hillbilly Horror Stories, Serial Spirits Podcast, Hysteria 51, gonna be a badass time. Like I said, tickets are only 20 bucks from 7 to 11 p.m. It's gonna be pretty damn fun, so hopefully I'll see you there. And of course, I'm going to be rocking the home state, Indianapolis, Indiana, May 16th, 2020, 7 to 11 p.m. Tickets $20. That is going to be me, Hillbilly Horror Stories, the Brohio podcast, which I love the, I love all those people so much, man. It's always a good time, especially in my home state. I'm going to be hosting another after party. Like it's going to be a great, great time. We had a great time last year. Anybody who's there will tell you the same thing. But we also have a very special guest with us. We have Bishop James Long coming with us, who is a demonologist and exorcist. So that should be pretty damn excited, exciting. He's been seen on a couple different TV shows. So mark your calendars, do whatever you got to do. Hopefully I get to see you sometime this summer and fall. And as for reviews, we got 
from Canada. Here's the thing. I thought Canada fucking hated me. Apparently not. Apparently Canada is really kind of cool with me. Because after I got my saliva fucking review from Nikita7690. Fucking idiot. We got the Canadian Quarter. Mark, five stars. Says, so recommend. I've always believed that we should pursue what gets us excited and put your whole heart into it. Justin has done just that. So much research and incredibly well presented. Love listening during my commute to and from work. Great job, Justin. Thank you very much, man. I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast. Hopefully you didn't start at the beginning because if you did, you wouldn't be probably writing that review. Those up, That's why I always tell people, man, the first episodes is rough. Whew, didn't know how to edit. Had an $8 microphone. It was, it was pretty brutal. But Mark, thank you so much, dude. If I'm ever in Canada, I'll be sure to announce it. And uh, hopefully I can meet you and we can have some beers together, you know? All right, next up we got Tiki Cats. Five stars. Love it. From Canada with love. Longtime listener on my regular rotation list. One of my favorites. Interesting subjects. Justin has a great podcast voice. Smooth and easy to listen to. Even the cussing. <laughs> Always makes me laugh. Helps me get through this long, boring day at work. Keep up the good work. You know what? I use podcasts, the ones that I do listen to. I'm very picky about my podcasts, actually, but I do listen to them at work quite a bit. It does definitely help, especially if I'm having like a stressed out day where I, you know, just want to not talk to anybody, which usually is almost every day. But even when I'm stressed, it's like, ah, put my earbuds in. Fuck all you guys. But yeah, thanks, Tiki Cats. I appreciate that. The same thing goes for you. If I'm ever up in Canada and I announce that shit, hopefully get to meet you and have some beers and we can talk about your horrible grueling days at work and then i can tell you about mine because i do have a regular job too uh what else we got nothing from australia let's go to the uk and see what we got there and we got mr blue 87 five stars says real talk i've only listened to three or four episodes but i can already tell i'm gonna be a long time listener keep it up man fuck the haters Shout out to Brohio for putting me on to you. Fucking love Brohio, man. And, dude, thank you for shouting him out, because if you didn't, I would have. Uh, like I said, man, I'm good friends with Nick and Rob. They're great guys. They have a great podcast. Always love doing live shows with them and hanging out with them whenever I can. And uh, talking to Nick every now and then about random shit. But, yeah, man, thanks, Mr. Blue 87 You're fucking awesome, dude. Fucking drink a beer for me. All right, next one we got... Natosha, five star, Natosha T, five stars, Belinda Temple. Could you do an episode on Belinda Temple? She was murdered in her own home while she was pregnant. There's a lot of info about it. It involves her husband and prosecutor Kelly Siegler, which I'm sure most in the true crime community know about. It's always bothered me. I want to hear what you think about it. Thanks. You know what? I will do that for you. You got to give me about a month, though. I got to clear out a schedule. I got um, a big series coming up with uh, Carlos Hathcock. And I, I, if I can get that done soon enough, I'm going to be hitting the Cray Twins out of out of the UK. I really, I really want to do an episode on them dudes. Uh, they're straight up gangsters, man. But yeah, give me give me like a month or so, and I can definitely do that for you. And I remember who you are. I remember you suggested uh, that other case that. Uh, that I covered. So yeah, I'll get on that for you. Thank you very much again for, for leaving a new review. This one is all right. I'm going to skip this one for right now, just because 
I got to go to the social media to see what all the listeners said about this two-star review. All right, so we're going to skip that for now. We got Shuba, five stars, informative. Thanks for a great job. Shuba, you're fucking awesome. Thank you for a great job. I appreciate it. I try to try to be informative. Uh, this one is Mailman from Hell, five stars. Love the show. Uh, says, I'm a huge fan of the show. The Westies one uh, was one of my favorites. I'm now officially hooked. Dude, the Westies was fucking crazy. And I got to give a huge shout out to the Dark Windows podcast, man. Them dudes went and got the books. They hit it hard, man. They did a phenomenal job on that series. And they, they took the steering wheel on that. But yeah, I've always, I've been fascinated with uh, Jimmy Coonan and Mickey Featherstone for quite a while. So I was happy that they uh, jumped in on that with me. Now we can go to the two star. We got Ski Bob 10, two stars. Literally gave me a fucking pity star, right? Says, uses the F word like it was an adjective. He is not very professional. He cusses repeatedly. Women and children could be listening to this podcast. He needs to upgrade his vocabulary if he wants to improve. You hear that? I have to upgrade my vocabulary if I want to improve. Ski Bob 10, although I do appreciate that second pity star. I didn't find this as offensive. The whole thing where you think you like, you know what the fuck I need to make myself better is honestly adorable as shit. Because first of all, I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to do it unapologetically, which means you can literally go fuck yourself. I haven't changed this podcast in almost four years. In April of 2020, I will be a podcaster for four years on this show. Haven't changed it. Shown has grown. I have sponsors. I have advertisers. I do live shows. I do conventions. Pretty fucking sure I've improved over the last four years. But because of the comment you said about women and children, that's what really pissed my listeners off on social media, because as you regulars know, I do post these one star, two star, whatever it might be on social media. And here's what they had to say about it. My uh, caption for this review was, here are exhibits A, B, and C, reasons why I'm losing faith in humanity's ability to obtain common sense. By the way, I sure as fuck hope you're not letting kids listen to true crime, whoever you are. <laughs> and then I posted a picture of my big E beside my show, which means explicit. And then I also circled the big, huge disclaimer in the show notes that says explicit language with asterisks around it. That's why I said the whole common sense thing. I had 43 comments on that post. Mascara and murder says my delicate female ears can't take such language. And then the laugh crying emoji, which is fucking hilarious. Uh, <laughs> Rhymes with Chris Christopher says, upgrade your vocabulary. Ah, this guy can go fornicate himself. Like that? <laughs> Kathy C114 says, I use the F word like an adjective. Maybe it's as precious he's worried about. Scary one says, I don't trust people who don't swear. It makes me very uneasy. Like, what is this psycho hiding? Oh, and the train keeps rolling on these comments. It definitely, uh, it doesn't stop there. You should see the Facebook comments. These They're even better. From Julie Reed. Hi, woman here. It isn't the fucking 1800s. We cuss as well. <laughs> 
Roxana says, us poor women, accidentally stumbling upon this podcast and being forced to listen to such profanity. How will we ever survive? For fuck's sake. <laughs> Robin in the treetop says, won't you please think of the women and children? <laughs> oh man, it's so great. Rachel Dryman says, wait, wait, wait. So why does cussing matter if women are listening? No one tell this reviewer I'm a woman who cusses. Chemistry says, depending on how it's used, the F word could be an adjective. So, oh man, it, it really does just keep going on and on, man. There's so many comments on this. Vanta Meridian says this just in. Women nowhere say the no-no word because we're all godly and chast. <laughs> oh, I fucking love it. And like I said... There were plenty, plenty more in the Facebook group, but we're not going to go that far because I've rambled on for probably 10 minutes on reviews. And uh, like I said, man, I really do appreciate everybody that takes the time to, to you know, hit that five-star button, suggest shit to their friends. It, it helps out more than people know. So I do appreciate that. Thank you very, very much. And I think that's about all I got for you. Have a good one.